what, what I was blown away by when I did, told my employers I was going to get 40% back, my quality went from 3% down to 1.5%. My revenue grew 20 to 25% in the first year, and it's maintained that since then. And as a business owner, that's kind of a no-brainer. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now, here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. Running manufacturing operations is not easy, but if you're running a machine shop that produces complex parts in short runs, the switch over time between jobs or additional time spent in bringing material to machines could have significant profitability and growth challenges. Also, if your data collection and entry is primarily manual, you might run into significant operations bottlenecks and might not be able to compete. What process changes could you make to your operations to improve your quality and reduce costs? In today's episode, we have our guest, Matt Goose from MRS Machining, who discusses the challenges associated with manufacturing complex parts in short runs. He also shares his insights into the process changes he made to his company that resulted into significant quality improvement and growth opportunities. Finally, he shared several stories of where he was able to save significant costs and grow his customers by simply replacing a material or improving design of a part slightly. Let me introduce Matt to you. Matt Kuse is president of MRS Machining. Matt and his wife, Vicky, own MRS Machining that was started by his father in 1986 in his garage. Matt has been in the manufacturing industry for over 30 years. In 2017, MRS Machining was named one of American Machinist Magazine's top 10 machine shops in the nation and most recently was named a 2017 top shop by Modern Machine Shop Magazine. Matt has also been very active in his community by serving on his local school board, Chippewa Very Technical College Machine Tool Advisory Board and his local church board. Matt also was part of the startup of Cardinal Manufacturing at the Aleva Strum School by donating equipment. He continues to contribute his time and expertise to this excellent educational opportunity regularly. He's keenly interested in developing new talent and ideas for the manufacturing industry and holds two patents for cutting tools that he developed. Matt was also one of the faces in the IMTS 2016 and 2018 at campaign. In his spare time, he enjoys being a basketball and football official. He has a passion for cycling and has successfully cycled up Pikes Peaks to an elevation of over 40,000 feet. In his past year, he put over 9,000 miles on his bike and always up for a ride. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hey, Matt. Welcome to the show. Well, come on, Sam. I'm, I'm, I'm delighted to be here today. Okay, amazing. Just to kick things off, do you want to start with your personal story and your current focus? Yes. I started machining back in high school. I had a tech ed class and I got exposed to it. And my dad also was a machinist. So I um, actually grew up on a farm and I had that work mentality. So we sold our farm when I was in eighth grade. And when I got exposed to it in high school, I decided, hey, manufacturing is the way for me to still use my hands and my mind 
and I basically started working at my dad's out of my dad's shop, but my dad's worked at a machine shop and I just fell in love with machining. It just, you know, I took art classes and I played sports in high school and I knew I had that kind of talent. So that's why I got into it. Okay. So obviously we are going to be talking a lot about machines, you know, what's going to be a good machine versus bad machine. And obviously our customers and the listeners can take advantage of your machining expertise. But before I do that, we are going to have one standard question that we ask everybody because the focus of this podcast is growth so what is your perspective on growth Matt what does growth mean to you yeah growth's a big word I over the years I've learned a lot of things and you really got to define what growth is you know some people think growth is growing your sales but in order to have growth sales you got to have the right equipment but you got to have the right they got to have the right people and without I always use the three P's you got to have people process and a product in place for you to have sales growth without one of those three you really can't grow so when you start growing, you got how much do you want to grow? Do you want to grow 5% a year, 10% a year, 15% a year, or more? And I found over the years, if you're growing more than 15% a year, it's getting out of control and it's hard to zone in on it and you start having a lot of waste. So I try to keep my growth within under 15% a year. Okay. Uh, to go along with it, I always have a goal, growth, and a goal without a plan is called failure. So you need to write down your goals and then execute that plan. Okay. Amazing. So you mentioned right equipment, right? And one of the things that you mentioned is people, process, and product. So typically in the ERP world, we talk about people, process, and technology, but you are talking about product. And I completely agree with you that getting the product right is definitely important. And to get the product right, obviously you need to have the right equipment so tell me from your experience from any of these stories that you might have tell me what is the right equipment and what is not right equipment and how that might impact the product that manufacturers might be producing you got to look at what kind of what kind of product you're making and if you're looking at a simple easy job a high volume yeah you know you're gonna you're gonna lean towards a swiss machine or a screw machine if you're gonna look at complex short run you know what we do here is we do a high mix short run we have over 500 active jobs in our system and we ship over 35 jobs a day out of here so our equipment's got to be real versatile and easy to set up and program. And when I started out, I wanted, that's kind of what our focus was at MRS is to be a short run, quick turnaround. So we, we actually partnered up with a company called Mazak. They're out of Florence, Kentucky and yep. their control, their control is really user friendly. And which makes our guys and our, my shop floor, I have 32 machinists and over 80% of my guys are able to set up and program. That's because the use of the control is so simple and easy where most people have one programmer or two programmers in a shop and they write all the programs and the people on the floor aren't allowed to make changes or edit programs and for us to grow at that time i had to give my people that the control the ownership to put that into the part because when you're only running two or three parts and you see something you need to change or a tolerance or a dimension they got to have that otherwise they have to go back to the our cam system update program download it and that, that's just waste i mean it, it would take them up to a half hour to 45 minutes where if they could just adjust it on the fly within, you know, really, really seconds, our volumes are, once I implemented that, our sales almost grew 20 to 30%, which I gave our employees the ownership of doing that. Well, that's where people come into place and you got to envision, got to build a culture of people. And to do that, that's where growth comes in because what I did three years ago, we were just floating along year by year. Our sales were just kind of maintaining and, and our quality was we didn't have a quality problem. We had less than 3%. That much is, you're doing that 
35 jobs a day, that's quite a bit. You know, that's not a lot. That's not bad because a lot of setup, short runs, you can make mistakes. But I, I just knew there was something better. So what I ended up doing is I ended up putting a um, prop, kind of a, not a profit sharing, but incentive plan in place. So I'd give 40% of the profit back to the employees. I didn't know what to expect. First, you know, I just knew I had to do something better. But what I was blown away by when I gave, told that my employees I was going to give 40% back, my quality went from 3% down to 1.5%. My revenue grew 20 to 25 percent in the first year, and it's maintained that since then. And as a business owner, that's kind of a no-brainer. Grow your company profits and quality went down. Quality went up, and profits went up, and really didn't do nothing. And my return on my investment of that 40 percent was well over 20 percent. So that's why I always talk about building the culture and let envisioning people and let them let them do their thing because really they're in the trenches every day doing everything. Let them, they're the best people in there. They're seeing it every day where as a business owner, you don't get to see it every day. So, and you're probably not the expert in that area. So let them do their thing. Yeah, I completely agree with your assessment there. If you enable your employees and you have the incentive plan, and obviously that is going to halt. But what I'm really interested in knowing is what were the core reasons why they were not able to maintain the quality before and how the quality improved? And it seems like you improved by almost 100% or 50%. So what were the core reasons why you were not able to accomplish the same quality before? but you were able to do that later on once you had the incentive plan in place. Everybody has a gift and you have to empower them to become proof of that gift. So by doing that, they were had invested interest of it because if they made a mistake, they scrapped a part. Essentially, that was money out of their pocket. And that's really what I think inspired the, the quality. because They didn't want to make bad parts. And so they took that extra second, that extra time just to focus on what they were doing where before they would just punch a number in. Oh, it's a bad part. So what? Well, now 40% of that coming out. Of, if you scrapped a part out, that was a dollar. 40% of that, 40 cents was coming out of their, their, their incentive pool as a team. But so that to me really sparked a lot of interest. You know, we're, that just gave them ownership take total ownership and what i do here at mrs is i i just stay out of the way i let them run the show because they're the best at it and when they have a problem they come to me and i try to help as much as i can but just giving them i think the ownership part of it and and making a part that they felt was really good and is what really set it apart great so i get that when you are taking the ownership you are probably going to be slightly more driven slightly more passionate about the part that you are producing but i'm still looking for the underlying technical problem what was the core reason for the quality issues before and how they resolved it by taking the ownership. Is it just the attention? Is it just the drive? Is it just the passion? And because of that, you had quality issues? The drive was just, you know, I wanted to grow, of course. And I just felt like, I guess it came back to a, a story when my dad passed away. In 2013, he passed away. And, I, you know, you go through the emotional stress of your dad. My dad was actually half of myself. And I was really out, lights out for six months. And those people stepped up to the plate and took care of business here at MRS without really me being here. And my philosophy was I always wanted to give back to them. And we looked at an e-stop employee-owned business. And every time I went down that road, I just kept hitting dead ends and dead ends and dead ends. And I knew that wasn't the road to, the route to go at the time. Not that e-stops are a bad thing, but it just felt like it just wasn't right for us. So that's when I came in in the center program. I wanted to give back to my employees and I wanted a quality to 
did better, which wasn't bad, but just I guess that was the hit wild card. The quality thing went down one and a half percent because when I I put the incentive program in place. Yeah. So basically, what I'm trying to detect here is from the process perspective. So if the quality is improved, there is going to be underlying reason, right? Either the engineering improved, or you improved from the machining perspective, or you improved from the operations perspective. So what was the underlying reason for the improvement? Yes, the motivation is great. Yes, the incentive plan is great. But there has to be an underlying reason for improvement in the product quality. Yeah, the quality was better as far as dollar wise. I, we chart our quality every every month and every course every six months a year. We post it so people can see it. Some companies I go into it, you can see all these charts and charts and charts, and they have all this. And I don't do that because what happens is people stand there and look at it, and they get confused by it. So I always try to keep things as simple simple as possible. But you know, overall, when you're looking at a one and a half percent in quality, you know. We're about 120 to 150 thousand a year in scrap, which wow, that's a lot of money. But when you have a, a multi-million dollar company, it's it's that's three percent roughly. But we're after this, we were down, you know, 70 percent, 80 percent of scrap. Still, that's a lot of money. But you gotta when we figure in our quoting, we figure in a scrap percentage because nobody's perfect. And when you're setting up a pretty complex job with over 100. 50 dimensions on a features under a print it gets pretty complex where if you're just making a simple washer with three dimensions on it that's a whole different story but the driving factor is you know i just wanted to i wanted that scrap number to come down and i wanted to give that number back to my employees as much as i could and what we did with that that money is we actually turned around and invested in our qc department with better tools a newer cmm a vision system which also drove the quality down probably another half a percent because now we had better tools for our checking our parts. Okay, can you take an example of one of the parts and the manufacturing process? You know, what were the steps in the process? How you produce this part from the beginning to the end so that we can dig into the quality issue a bit more? So what we do here is we document all our all our processes. We have computers in all our cells. We're trying to be as paperless as much as we can. So when people, we put the incentive plan in, a lot of guys weren't really filling out their process sheets, weren't taking pictures of the parts as much as they should have. But now when they took the ownership in, our process sheets were filled out to a almost detailed where anybody could read it. So the tribal knowledge of stain, we had pictures of the parts. So we could actually, when you go to set the, you know, picture is worth a thousand words. I don't care what anybody says because your memory isn't as good as other people. But when you see that picture, like, oh, yeah, I remember that. So those are getting filled out. The pictures are getting downloaded into our computer. So when we have repeat runs, all that information is right there. We know what tools we have. We know what the tools are. We know what the picture of the part looks like because sometimes you get a 2D drawing. It's hard to envision the part where we got a picture of the finished part. Oh, okay. That makes a lot more sense. And of course, you get mo- nowadays you get models and you can take the model, but still a picture is really worth a thousand words. And then along with that, when our, you know, we have our inspection sheets for our parts, you know, we blew in all our prints with all the dimensions. That was also safe. So we weren't reinventing the wheel there. It was all there documented. So when people got to put quality, and then we'd fill our, our dimensions and we had a little bit of problem. People, you know, they would check the parts, but they weren't documented. Well, now when they, if they would miss something, thing or not document it, well, then you have a chance of making a bad part. So by them doing that, we would highlight the really critical tight dimensions. And then we put a yellow in our inspection sheet, knowing that that's a tight tolerance. And that all, that's 
that's what all came out of this. People just took it to the next level, which was just inspiring. And of course, as a business owner, that makes you happy. Yeah, definitely. And you mentioned one comment about the reducing the setup time. And a lot of manufacturing companies are going to have issue with the setup time as well. So let's say if they asked you your advice in terms of how they can reduce the setup time between runs, what would be your recommendation? First thing, you got what kind of parts are you making? What we fell in love with is our five-axis Mazak Intergrexis. And the reason we fell in love with them is they have big tool magazines. You know, where a standard turret lathe is like 12 tools or a standard BTC is probably, you know, 20 tools. If everybody's going to start a shop up, don't. I know it's a lot of money to invest in another set of tool magazines. But get the most tools you can in the magazine because without, then you can leave tools in there. We have a matrix of tools where we know that that machine, we have a, like a family of parts where we use a quarter 20 tap, half inch tap. We leave those, we leave those tools in there. We don't touch them. It's like our personal tool crib right in our machine. And that's where the integrex is coming nice. And they're five axis, so you can get at all angles, all features. You can sub spindle the part. You can pull the part off complete. That's just, that's where we excel at. Where now, if you're going to be running tens of thousands of parts, no, that's not the machine that you really want. You want to get into a four, fourth axis where you have two turrets, twin spindle parts coming in. But that's not who we are. We just we just never had a very good luck doing high volume parts, so we just kind of stayed away with. It. Not that we can't do it someday, but so the reduced setups, you just the tools got to be there. You just don't cut short on tools and don't cut short on magazines. We have all our jaws are numbered. When you, like in the lathe, we have collets. We have it all there right in our work cell so people don't have to go searching. And one of the biggest things we've done in our, our computers, what we have in all our cells, we have this little thing called AvNotes. And like for $200, it's a software you can get. And you can internally email each, everybody in their cell. So if you're running apart and you're not making the time where you have a quality question, you don't have to leave your cell and go walk around and find that person to go back to the customer, go back to our, our M&E here. We can sit there and keep running production or keep running another machine until we get that answer. That alone, I'm a kind of a numbers guy. Yep. And that we reduced our setup down by 25 minutes per job just because of that, because a lot of times the communication wasn't there. Now the communication is there. And that all gets documented and downloaded into our, our process files. So if that question comes up again, it's right there. You just pull up the job process, pull up the job number, boom, everything's there. So it's all that tribal knowledge, and saving it and keeping it in your computers. And everybody has access to that. There was another thing that we, uh, we run parts anywhere from eighth inch diameter up to 2000 pounds. And I was tracking that one day and, and I did a little survey and we found out it was taking us anywhere from a half hour to 45 minutes to get the material to the machine. Well, that ain't good enough. So what I did is I, I hired a valedictorian out of a, a local high school here, a super smart was going to go into computer software and I gave him an internship and I told him what I, here's what I want you to do. So he developed a software where we can barcode our job travelers and where it goes back to our shipping people and also we put computers in our fork trucks so when they scan that traveler, if someone's across, the, we have two buildings here, if someone's across the street and sees it comes up on their computer, they can grab it and bring it over. So we went from an average of 30 to 45 minutes to get our material to our machines or our work cells down to less than 5 to 10 minutes per job and and you can do the math on that one. That's a substantial savings. And I personally, I haven't even put a number or percentage or cost of savings on that. But for hiring a high school valedictorian for a summer, that kid was a pretty sharp individual. I actually tried to hire him full time. But he, he went on to go work for some big aerospace company. And he's doing really well. You know, I always take no for an answer. You know, I was in high school. I was always told that you don't go to a four-year college, you're not going to succeed. And, you know, you're going to end up. And, I, you know, that was never good enough for me. So I always try to find a way around. You got to be creative in this today because everything's changing so fast. So just 
just don't ever take a no for an answer. And that's where our barcoding system came into effect. We had material. When we buy a lot of material, we I can't even you know we buy millions of pounds of material a year. And we you buy 12 feet because you, you can't buy a remnant because it, the four feet you'd be paying for anyway. So why not keep it? So we would just store it in our shelf and and we tried doing inventory and it would take us four days to do inventory and. Nobody wanted to do it, and it wasn't accurate. So there again, we have to find a better way. So we developed our – I couldn't find them. I tried to buy something. I couldn't find nothing. So the first problem was if you buy material, you get stickers on the material. And our people you buy it from, distributors, they put stickers and tape, and it ends up falling off. And now you got to – they color code it. Whatever you, distributor has a different color code on their bar ends of the material. So you, one's red. It could be 1045. And other companies could be red. could be 4140. So we had to end up throwing the wave because he didn't know what it was. So we found a sticker. We took us a long time to find the right sticker that actually stuck on the material. I actually even took it and tried sandblasting it off, and I couldn't even get it off. So I knew we were set. So then we created our own software, or Excel, where we can barcode it, where we can tell it the PO number we ordered it on under. It tells us what type of material it is, and then it also tells you the dam in the material. So now, when we put an inventory, we can just scan it, and we have a handheld computer, and we say we got three feet in this storage bin. Everything's numbered alphabetical in AB and C, and then one, two, three. So we know where the material is, and we know how much we have it in. And we took that data and we downloaded it into our ERP system, which is called JobBoss. And that thing is live. And now, when you want to go do inventory, you just get your, we get our our, our gun, we can scan it, and then we basically put a tape measure on it. It'll just take us four days to do inventory. Now we can do it in four hours. And we used to try to buy the pulled teeth in here, try to get people to do it, and they wouldn't do it. Now everybody volunteers for it because it's so simple. To them, it's like taking a half a day off with pay. And, you know, we used to be off tens of thousands of dollars. Now when we do inventory we're usually shooting less than two hundred dollars and that's usually just because that's because uh, you're down to inches we, we measure everything in feet we don't measure in inches yeah so what did that do well we're we on average that was saving us probably three to four thousand dollars a month just material we weren't scrapping out that we paid for and i have to say since we've implemented it probably five years ago six years ago i i bet you we saved over hundreds of thousands of dollars, Sam. It's just, it's amazing. Yeah. And I have customers that come in and, you know, these aerospace, we're starting to get a lot of aerospace work. Yeah. And when they come in, they see that, they're like, where did you get that system? Oh, it's homemade. Well, where can I buy it? Well, I don't sell software. I'm not into it. It works for us. I can tell you how we did it and tell you what we use and you guys can try doing it. I have several customers that beg me to buy that, but I've helped them set up their own system, which I feel more comfortable about. So that's just some of the things that we've done. Never take no for an answer. You can, you can always get better and you can always figure it out. So one of the things that we try to do here also at MRS is I call it QBS, which stands for quality, value, and service. And sure, that's what we're about. We're about quality. We're about value. We're about service. And when a service comes in, when you call MRS, you, you don't get voicemail. It's, someone calls you they're not looking for a talk to a machine they're looking for an answer and i'll be honest with you sometimes you call and it may not be the answer you want but it, it's it's a this it's an answer that's the key you ain't waiting for an email 48 hours later you're not waiting for someone to call you back a week later and that's what our customers came back to us and they tell us that every day hey we like when you call mrs we get an answer may not be the answer we want, but at least we get an answer. And that's what we love about it. And the value that's where the value comes in. There's not a lot of people that respond that fast these days. It's just, especially with COVID, it's hard, but we still hold those morales, you know. Okay. And uh, how are you doing product costing? Because your ERP seems to be separate. You have that in Job Boss, and then you have to collect this data. You have to dump it in your ERP. Are you able to track the cost of each of the parts? 
the way you are building it or um, do you not have a sense of your parts yeah we, we track the, parts? yeah we track the cost the best we can the one thing that that's hard for us sometimes is that when we get busy we can't always run that specific part on a machine and so we have to pull it and put it in another cell just to get the customer out the door so there is some variance there where you're putting on integrex where you got all the tools there you know your setups probably can be in less than 30 minutes where you have to pull it and put it on a, a four axis lathe where there ain't no tools in there where you got live tooling less horsepower it your setup can go from like to, up to two hours so it varies a little bit a lot of all our guys log into their jobs and like everybody else you do make a mistake once in a while where you're logged into the you forget to log out you forget to go home we have little green slips where we have to manually put the job number down and, and deduct the hours but that's how we cost our parts we also have a in each operation we have a, a part to part time where people write down their part to part time just to make sure that it matches because sometimes if you log wrong you can do the math if it takes three minutes and you're making 10 parts that's 30 minutes so if you log in 10 hours well there's obviously something wrong one of the key factors that came out of there, Sam, that we've done, all our work orders are color-coded. Yeah. And why, why do you color-code your work orders? Well, a green job, for example, a green job is a brand new job. We have no programs. We have no processes. We have nothing. So that tells everybody, okay, high alert, high alert. We have to really document this. We have a white traveler, which is a job we ran before. So everybody knows they see a white traveler. It's a job we have. Everything's documented. Everything should be there. And then we can get on to orange. Orange traveler is a, a rev change. So there's actually some, a customer's change of dimension or change something on that part. You know, these are all quality things that people don't think it, look at as quality, but it is. You just keep putting the same print and you don't have a visual. How do you know there's a rev change in that print? You, you really don't. So you can make a part to the wrong the wrong rep. And usually what happens is our customer will get parts and they say, hey, you made these to the wrong dimension. What happens is that they don't change it in their system. So they're impressed to how we already changed it in our system. And, and if they do send a P over, we can catch that. Well, they'll send a P over for a rep B, you say, and our system's saying a rep C because we've had that orange traveler and we know our ERP system will flag and say, hey, there's a rep change. So we can call them and say, hey, you know, you just sent over a PO as rep B where it should be rep C. And another thing we do that helps that was we scan all our documents in. So we have all our material certs, we have all our inspection sheets, we have all our travelers, we have the print, and we scan it under each job. And that also goes in our job file. So our customer can call up and say, hey, this we have a little problem with this part or something's not right. Can I get the dimensions? Within a click of a button, we can email them. And we don't have to go searching for hours or sometimes days looking for all that. It's all electronic. It's all simple, quick, easy. That's where the value comes in and the quality comes in. Okay, so when your customers are sending their specs, are they sending in terms of, let's say, CAD file, a design, a spec, and then you are manually entering this data? in your system or how is that process? Yeah, well, we have to enter it manually because that's how Job Boss works because everybody's got a different PO number and you have to actually change the PO number. And then all the models and the prints, we actually scan them in or we can convert them into the job process file. So when they come on the new job, we'll we'll put the job number in there and then we'll put the latest and greatest print that they sent with us. Uh, and then the models also go in there. The models are kind of the thing we get now. And it's funny about models is you really have to be careful. We have some customers that have great models and we can use them right to the T. And then we have some models where you can't trust them because the dimensions change and they say, well, make the print off the model. But it's hard for us to do that because then we have to start 
okay, what's the tolerance on the part? You know, is this a bearing bore? Is this a press fit bore? Is this a location hole? That's where things get a little tricky. So we always ask for a model and a, uh, also a, a dimensional print. So then we can kind of compare apples to apples. And I can't tell you how many times that we've gotten print, dimensional print, where, and in the model, where they don't match up. Things get changed and don't get updated. So we like to prevent that kind of stuff before it happens. So let's go back to uh, the model. So you talk about model, right? And my customers uh, or the listeners may not be familiar with the, the model. So are these uh, CAD files that you are getting from your customers? What exactly are you getting from your customer when you get the specifications from them in terms of designing the part? You know, we get a model, you know, as a 3D model. I don't know if most people know what a model is. It's just like yeah. a, a video game or whatever, but you just take it and you can spin it all the way around. You can look at it and then you can go into a wireframe and you can click on it and get your points and get your dimensions. And you can also download it into our CAM system where it'll program. You can use those numbers to rate create your program. That's what you can program in. Most of it's EIA programming, which is M&G code. And now our newer machines in Mazak, we can download the models and it also, it's called AI, artificial intelligence, where it actually, you click a button and it, it'll program itself. Then you can go back through and edit it. That's some amazing technology and that's just, just hitting the floor right now. If anybody's looking to up their game a little bit, I would definitely call Mazak and look into that because it takes a lot of the human error out of it. But there again, it also boils down to the model and you got to make sure that model's right and sometimes model like i said sometimes models don't come across that great but it's the problem a lot of the problem is tools are there's so much technology out there and you go to two-year college or four-year college there's only so much time in the day or in the year where you can learn so much and you learn most of your stuff in the field and the trade and i tell kids you know once you get done with school you get your diploma you're not set for life you're set for maybe three to six months you have to take and Go on the internet and learn more. You have to get in trade magazines. You just, it's continuous improvement. And that's how you advance in companies. The more you know, the more you're going to make and the more you can devote. So just give it your all. And that's how you advance. Because when you're in school, you just can't physically learn it all. Okay. So when you talk to these customers, let's say in the aerospace, do you have any stories that you might be able to share about if they need to know anything about the precision parts and the machining? So do you have any stories which impacted the growth of these companies just because they were not, let's say, as innovative as you are in terms of streamlining your processes. Do you have any stories that you might be able to share? Yeah, I actually got several, you know, DFM, which stands for Design for Manufacturing. You know, I'm, we're the experts here how to machine and make a part where sometimes the design people have never made a part. So they just think it miraculously can pop up. I love that. I, I'm the DMF guy. I just, there's always a better way of doing things. And I had a customer come to us and they were making this part and they, they were making 40,000 parts a year. And we started making it. And I just questioned them one day and on the material, they're making it out of ET, ETD 150 which is really a double a double tempered material. And I asked them why they were doing that. Well, it's better machining. And I kind of paused them all better machining. I said, there's also 4140 pre-hard. Exact same thing. It just machines a little different. I, I said, with today's technology, machining is not the problem. And I said, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll, I'll make you six free samples and I'll have you test them. And I guarantee you that e, that 4140 pre-hard will outlast the ETD 150. Oh, no, it won't. Well, anyways, they have a machine where they have this product and they test it and they run it through like 50,000 cycles and then they pull it and then they throw it under a vision system to look for wear and tear. Well, they were getting about 30,000 cycles off ET-150. So they wanted up their game and they, they said, okay, we'll show Matt draw. So they went up to 70,000 cycles and they pulled it in the vision system. The thing looked brand new yet. All of a sudden I got their attention. <laughs> the material is half its cost. 
was half the price. And we ended up saving them $100,000 a year on that product alone. And on top of it, they actually got a better product out of it because it, it, the wear factor in 4140 was just a little better than ETD 150. So that, that's the kind of stuff I like to do. That's where you yep. kind of, my goal every day is to learn something new. And if you're not, I say, if you're not growing, you're dying. Yeah. So you learn new things and then you can help people. The material problem that you identified, do you have any other stories that you might be able to share that was not related to material, anything else that you highlighted that could be exciting for our customers that they can learn from? There was another product. This was actually a kind of an automotive aftermarket part where they were getting a part. It, they were welding it. They were pressing it together and welding it and they were breaking in the field. And so I kind of kind of looked at it and I actually I actually reached out to them and said, hey, I, I think I can make your product a little better. Not defend anybody. And well, what do you mean? So then I took the part. I said, just can I design something and give it to you? So I took that part and actually made it out of a solid billet. And they're like, there's no way the cost savings can be the same. So I designed it. We made it. And actually, I was saving them 10% making out of a solid versus a weldment. Plus, I put in some key factors in there because when they're out in this product, it's actually for emergency use kind of in a way. And in the middle of the night, you can't take a part that's painted and it was slipping out of your hand and it was getting lost in the mud. So I actually put a neural on it and and now the grip factor was much better and the paint was chipping off. So then I actually chrome got them um, zinc plated. So now they weren't rusting and I saved them 10%. And now the part's a better part. And now their sales almost tripled just because the part looks better, is safer, and they're happy. And now, now I'm, that opened doors for more parts to look at. So it was a win-win for everybody. Okay, amazing. Do you have any other stories that you would like to share? Your stories are definitely very interesting and I'm really enjoying them. <laughs> yeah, I have a lot of, I do a lot of officiating of sports and I always think they run hand in hand. And I have several quotes that I just came up with that I could share if it helps or not. I can probably maybe put some of them on your, on a link to the page in my story that helped me along. There's some of them are kind of long, but you know, when someone comes to you and, and gives you feedback, don't take it as an insult, but take it as a gift. One of the things I try to do here is someone makes a mistake. Some guys will go out there and just start yelling at them, you know, what are you doing? It's like, you know, your dog, if your dog's at home is being naughty, you yell at it, you know, kind of goes weeping in the corner, but that's not how you to treat people here. I always ask, the first thing in my words is what have you learned by it? How can we improve it? How can we make it better? So don't ever put fear into somebody. I always use a three Fs, fail fast, fix fast, and forget fast. You know, we all fail. It's a given. It's how you, how you're going to fix that and then figure it out, fix it, and then forget it. You're going to sit there and dwell on a mistake you made and it's just going to put your head down. That's just a cancer and you got to get over it and just move on because that's what happens when you officiate. I make a bad call. I miss a foul. I miss a travel. I fix it. I clean it up. I go tell the coach, hey coach, I clean that up. And then I forget about it move on. Because otherwise it'll affect your whole day. It'll affect your, it could almost affect your week. Amazing. On that note, I wanted to thank you for your time, Matt. And my personal takeaway from this conversation is going to be fail fast, fix fast, and forget fast. That's very insightful and very deep. Again, I want to thank you for your time. I appreciate your insight. This has been a fun conversation. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Matt, head over to mrsmachiningco.com. It's m-r-s-m-a-c-h-i-n-i-n-g-c-o.com. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Robert Johnson, who discusses how the metal fabrication industry's manufacturing processes differ from generalized manufacturing. Also, the interview with Max Krug, who discusses what actions businesses need to take if they encounter product quality or business performance issues. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. 
If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you and I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.